how's it going? Today we're going to be talking to Dr. John Gill, who is the Senior Director of R&D at Codex DNA. Codex DNA are working on producing an automated DNA synthesis device, which will allow scientists to synthesize DNA at the lab bench rather than having to order external. It was great to hear about the technology. I hope you enjoy the show. Yeah, if you could introduce yourself for us, John. Sure. Thanks, guys, for having me on the show. My name is John Gill, and I'm a senior director here at Codex DNA uh, in the R&D group. And I've been working in the genomics and synthetic biology field for just over 25 years now. Um, started out at the Institute for Genomic Research in the late 90s. Was involved in some of the early genome sequencing um, efforts there um, that were done, as well as the, the first uh, uh, haploid uh, human genome. Um, and then in 2011, moved over to Synthetic Genomics Incorporated um, here in San Diego. And I've been working with uh, Dan Gibson on various projects, uh, the digital to biological converter, uh, which I'm sure we'll cover. And <clears throat> more recently, uh, focused around um, synthetic or uh, enzymatic DNA synthesis for synthetic biology applications. So could you actually give us sort of, would you say maybe the, an overview of um, the key technologies that you're working on? And then we can sort of delve a bit deeper into each of these. Yeah, so um, the probably, I guess, starting in, in 2011, there was a concept that we came up with uh, called the digital to biological converter or the DBC. And the idea behind that <clears throat> was to come up with a, with an automated system that could take in uh, digital DNA sequence and make the oligos effectively pool the oligos to make genes and then output um, therapeutic targets potentially. And then what sort of spun out of that was a system that we now sell that we have on the market that we've had on the market for for a while now called the BioXP. And what the BioXP does is it takes DNA oligos that are already pooled into microtiter plates and assembles the oligos into into genes. And then it goes through an enzymatic DNA error correction process that effectively uh, removes a lot of the errors that um, are often in the oligos. Um, as a lot of people in synthetic biology will attest to, there are quite a few errors in, in traditional oligos uh, made with the traditional phosphoramidite uh, synthesis process. So we had to devise a way to effectively remove those errors. And then, um, and then the output from that system are full-length assembled genes, and they can go into several applications that we also have automated on the system. Uh, Gibson assembly can clone into your favorite vector. Um, we can also go into a process we call rapid amp, which we can amplify lots of DNA for transfections. And um, more recently, the system is also producing mRNA, um, so if you want to screen some potential candidates um, for mRNA vaccine research, um, you can do that on the system. And then probably uh, in the not too distant future, maybe the next couple of months, 
um, we're going to be able to make protein on the system as well. So that's sort of where a lot of the focus is um, here at Codex DNA. That's our sort of flagship product and what my team works on here and, and other teams as well um, in terms of manufacturing the reagents, um, product development, marketing, commercialization of all, all the products that we have. Um, yeah. And then we have some other, you know, we sell uh, Gibson assembly kits um, to, to customers as well as a cell line called VMAX, which is sort of like an E. coli replacement um, that can propagate colonies uh, pretty rapidly and kind of cut down on the design build test cycle. Um, you know, Cause if you can get colonies within the same day that you, that you transform, you know, your, your clones, it can, it can really help. Mm. How did you go about reducing um, the errors in the oligosynthesis? So on the, on the BioXP, we use uh, an enzyme. It's an error correction enzyme um, that we discovered in about 2012, I believe. And, and it's a single enzyme that can actually recognize sort of heteroduplexes, so errors effectively in, in the DNA. Um, and that's a pretty, pretty robust enzyme at doing that. And it's sort of unfortunate that we have to find an enzyme that can actually, you know, eliminate errors that are in, in the DNA. But despite the fact that, you know, traditional phosphoramidite chemistry has been around for uh, over 40 years now, it's still um, to this day, we have, we have issues with, with oligos having errors in them. So we had to devise this, this enzymatic method to, to eliminate those errors. Okay. What is the, is the BioXP, is that a machine or a method? Sorry. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a machine. It's an automated platform that's uh, specific to building DNA from starting from oligos yeah. and then error correcting them. So, the system has, you know, multi-channel pipetter on it. Um, it has a thermocycler. It has, you know, space for pipetting tips. Um, it has a magnetic uh, base for purification of DNA. So it's sort of like a, it's a, a compact, you know, we just think about it as a synthetic biology workstation. And we're constantly thinking of many ways to sort of devise applications that can go on you know, sort of be at the tail end of the gene synthesis. And of course, our customers that we work with, they help us, you know, kind of push things to the, to the next level. Um, but yeah, essentially it's, it's an automated system that, that uh, builds, builds DNA. Right. I'm, I'm curious about um, sort of when you were in initially sort of um, starting to build this automated system, uh, where where did you take your get your inspiration from, or how did you decide to sort of how did you sort of design this sort of modular kind of system? Yeah, it's a great question. I, th I think a lot of the, the inspiration came from you know some of the work that that Dan Gibson was doing on the first minimal cell. Mm -hmm. um, sorry, not the the first synthetic cell. The minimal cell followed followed after, but um, one of the things that uh, he and the team at the Venture Institute realized was that, you know, this process could be pretty cumbersome and then all the errors that you have in the oligos. So if, 
you know, we still think the errors are, are kind of bad now, you know, in, in our oligos that we get um, from from suppliers. Uh, imagine what it was like um, almost 15 years ago. The, the chemistry was still, you know, after uh, 25, 30 years or so, is still evolving and still not quite there. And um, we thought that having a system to sort of automate this entire process of building gene length fragments that you could then even take and build into higher order assemblies, you know, for uh, pathways, genetic pathways, or even whole genomes um, would be extremely useful for, for other scientists that were trying to do the same sort of things that we were trying to do. And it turns out that people, um, people really need this technology and want it. Um, so, we're spending now quite a bit of time on trying to build the front end of the system, which is effectively um, gets back to this idea of a digital to biological converter, where you have not only the BioXP assembling the genes, but the upfront process of making the oligos via enzymatic DNA synthesis uh, method that we call SOLO. So can you like explain um how this uh, solar sort of works a little bit to, yeah, uh, just describe how, yeah. bit how it works, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, SOLA is, so it stands for short oligo ligation assembly. So instead of building oligos in a traditional way where you add individual DNA bases at a time, this starts with a pre-manufactured set of, of short very short oligos and it has all permutations in this set we can call it a, a library of, of oligos and those um, those short pieces of DNA are effectively coupled together and they're sort of trapped between uh, surrounding kind of conserved DNA and this sort of trapping process gives us the ability to, to increase the fidelity of the DNA that we're trying to make <clears throat> and then Progressively, over time, you go through cycles, you know, it's, it's three cycles of a two-step process that we go through to, to basically unearth the DNA and, and kind of build progressively larger and larger pieces of DNA. So, it, it's, I would call it a synthesis strategy for making DNA, but it's effectively an assembly process. Um, it starts out with with really short pieces and because you know these pieces that are in the library it's not like it's a million of them you know it's not you can have the entire library set on an automated platform um and that's that's kind of what we're focused on right now is building an automated system that can effectively build these these short pieces and go through this assembly process um using entirely enzymes they're they're you know, we're not producing any any hazardous chemical waste like the traditional phosphoramidite chemistry does. It's it's all through you know enzymes and and using very dilute amounts of you know the, these library components. I'm I'm really curious. So because I I feel like a lot of people are not maybe not a lot of people, but some people uh, might be. So in some ways afraid of taking on automation, especially when it comes to, you know, making creation of experiments or things or using automated tools, maybe have a bit of hesitancy towards 
automated tools. How do you um, sort of how do you ensure that using your using automated tools is um, sort of the errors that occur with using automated tools are also accounted for? Yeah. So so the one thing I think about the these tools like the BioXP, for example. So it is a system that you know you you have in your lab. It's not in a sense a traditional automation system where, you know, you have to program all the steps that you need to do. Um, so, so you're right. Yeah, like you can introduce errors in that, that programming process. So what we go through is a series of, you know, we go through a development period where we're trying to develop the, you know, the application that we that we're currently working on. And, and that goes through a lot of sort of verification and validation to make sure that it works, that, that the hardware performs well with the chemistry. So I think the analogy would be like, um, you know, if, if you had an Illumina sequencer or if you had an Oxford nanopore sequencer, you're, you're not programming these systems to do specific things in the lab. They're in your lab so that you can get your work done faster. Um, so you can spend doing, you know, spend time doing other things, uh, thinking about experiments and, you know, not, not programming automation. So that's sort of how these systems are, are devised and, and what we, you know, try to try to do with them. We don't, uh, want to put the burden on the customer to, you know, take time away from their research to program the system to build DNA. It's already the, those workflow steps are already embedded in the in the in the product. Mm. What size um, DNA fragments can you sort of construct with this method compared to the older methods? <clears throat> yeah, great. So it, it's. Um, so far, we've built a number of genes, and, and recently we just had a, a pretty significant breakthrough where we were able to assemble the entire spike gene um, from SARS-CoV-2. So that's about 4 kb. So mm. effectively, it was taking um, and the way we build the, the, the fragments with Sola is that we go up to 100 base pairs. So we start with very small and then we progressively get larger and then we get up to 100 base pair. And we've learned that 100 base pair is a, is a really good stopping point. And then we can take all the 100 base pair pieces and it was about 70 of them for the spike chain and they overlap each other. So, um, you know, they can essentially act like uh, links in a chain where they're connected. Mm -hmm. Um, in a certain way. And then um, through some assembly processes that we've, um, you know, we've developed in-house and that are actually on the BioXP, we're able to assemble the entire, entire spike chain with the, with the solar technology. Um, so, and then when we look at the errors, even without error correction, um, you know, we see you know, really good uh, error rates. So just to kind of put it in perspective, um, when you get oligos from traditional uh, phosphoramidite chemistry, the error rates are about, you know, one in 500 base pairs, um, one error per 500 base pairs synthesized in, in your genes. So um, what we saw with this, this particular assembly with the spike gene was about one in 5,000, and that's without any, any error, you know, any enzymatic error correction that I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. Right, that's, that's incredible, yeah.
Yeah. Do you um, think that uh, the system could be later maybe applied to construct? Uh, I mean, you mentioned that uh, you have been constructing the spike gene. So do you think later on the system could be improved to also do it with like uh, larger DNA fragments, like with sort of like yeah. assemble like proteins? <clears throat> So, yeah, absolutely. You know, going, you know, trying to go up to, okay, so we, we could take the uh, SARS-CoV-2 genome, for example, you know, 30,000 30, base pairs. So we could imagine building, you know, a number of 4,000 base pair pieces of DNA and then um, employing uh, technology like Gibson assembly to then put all those DNA fragments together to assemble, you know, the entire genome. Um, so I think once, once you get to a certain place with the DNA fragments, you know, whether it's one KB, two KB, you can stitch them together to build, you know, larger pieces of DNA. It's really getting, the key thing is getting the, um, the starting, you know, the, the starting oligos, the starting pieces of DNA, that's been the real problem, um, So once, once you can get those starting pieces made and, and you can make them in your own lab and, you know, it's decentralized, then, you know, sort of the sky is the limit. You can, you can make all kinds of things, you know, pretty rapidly, whether it be lots of different genes for protein co coding sequences, um, genes to make up an entire genetic pathway or genetic pathways to make up, you know, entire genomes. But it's getting that, that front-end part to make the, the DNA oligos rapidly, cost-effectively, and in you know, a way that's safe uh, for the environment, for the employees that are working with the DNA. Um, and yeah, I think that's, that's, the, that's the game changer in terms of getting you know, larger pieces of DNA is, is actually getting the small pieces done quickly and, mm -hmm. and efficiently and, and cost-effectively. Mm -hmm. How long does it take usually, say, to make that spike gene that you talked about? How long would that take? So, so the way that we did that, it was through a, you know, a semi-automated system. So we have, you know, it's kind of broken up in a modular, a modular process and we're, you know, moving things onto thermocyclers and uh, putting things on automated systems. So it's not completely automated just yet. That's the goal is to get there. But even doing it in a semi-automated fashion, Um, it takes about two days to, to get to that, to get to that gene. Um, so, you know, if you try to do that in, in your own lab, you'd have to, um, you likely don't have an oligosynthesizer in your own lab because they're just dangerous to have around. Um, they generate a lot of waste and then they're expensive and you have to dispose of that way. So you would probably end up ordering the oligos from a vendor and then, you would need to get those oligos in and pull them together and then start assembling. So it could take, you know, uh, anywhere from two to four weeks, honestly, to do that. Um, so, yeah, we want to, we want to have this, this technology collapsed on, you know, automation platforms, you know, not, not very large systems. We're talking benchtop systems. We're not talking, you know, the, the size of a, you know, one of the older PacBio sequencers or something. Um, it's not an extremely large um, platform. We want to have this, you know, embedded in these systems that can, you know, enable synthetic biologists and, and folks doing biotech work and 
in their own labs um, and potentially, you know, one day maybe even in the, in the clinic as well, hospitals, um, probably down the road a bit. But yeah, I think that's sort of aspirational goal for us as a company is to get there. Mm. Are, your, is, Sorry, is, is, uh, are your devices such as this, uh, the BioPrint XP, um, are they already being used by customers and how, how widespread are they being used? Yeah, the, the BioXPs are being used um, by you know, hundreds of customers, um, you know, from, from big pharma to startups to academic labs, uh, core facilities. Um, yeah, they're pretty, you know, they're, they're not as common as, as a thermocycler in, in the lab just yet, but, you know, we, we think they're getting there. We think they have the potential to get there one day. Um, but, uh, yeah, all, uh, all different kinds of applications, you know, from building, um, you know, screening, uh, CRISPR-Cas9 mutants to, um, you know, at the front end of sort of like the, the entry point into the clinical therapeutics, um, and building whole genomes that we've built, um, a number of. SARS-CoV-2, pretty much all the, the variants of concern um, for SARS-CoV-2 on the BioXPs and assemble them into, you know, full-length genomes at the bench. Um, so, uh, yeah, they're, they're pretty, pretty widespread use. And, and, of course, you know, as a company, we hope there'll be, uh, we hope there'll be you know, continued uptake of the system, especially when we can get, you know, to sort of this concept of a, a digital to biological converter. Mm. You mentioned a little bit about uh, protein synthesis. I was just wondering what sort of stage that research is in. Yeah, it, it's it's pretty far along. I think it's going to be probably launched as a product um, in the in the very near future. Um, like, you know, it's definitely this year. Um, mm. it, it's going to happen. Um, so that'll be a pretty pretty exciting, you know, I think launch for us because. That'll sort of complete, you know, all the different, you know, producing the full-link genes you know, in the form of DNA and then uh, mRNA and then uh, just completing kind of the, the trifecta, I guess, of having the protein produced mm. on the system as well. So if you have sort of fully realized the potential of this, this product, what do you see it doing for um, like laboratories that are using this product? For for the BioXP or for yeah the, yeah I guess we focus on one yeah yeah so you know one one example I think for you know if you're talking about uh, BioXP applications is um, we've had some uh, a couple of customers that are interested in building um, what we call neoantigens and this is. Uh, pretty pretty close to the to the clinic where uh, patient samples um, the tumors will be biopsied and they'll actually sequence the the tumor cell and then they'll look for um, neoantigens which are effectively you know SNP based uh, targets where um, the proteins that are being expressed in the cell. Um, have some mutations that are sort of driving the progression of the cancer. So these are actually pretty small pieces of DNA. So we have some customers that want to make 
take the patient samples, and then they want to make the the new antigen DNA to express that, um, you know, potentially into into protein. So it's getting you know, like super close to the clinic, and it's very it's very exciting, and it's very personalized, you know, kind of targeted um, cancer care that you know really relies on DNA sequencing and DNA synthesis. So I think this is sort of like the kind of thing that's just you know, really exciting to me is to see synthetic biology getting super close to the clinic um, so that you can potentially have a therapeutic that's based on, you know, uh, making, making DNA. Um, and that's sort of the same, you know, with uh, mRNA vaccines. It's also very exciting because customers working on mRNA vaccines have, have BioXPs and they want to produce mRNA to, to effectively screen for, mRNA candidates for vaccines. So, hmm. um, you know, and then all the way to, you know, just basic research and, and people wanting to tighten their design build test cycles around, um, you know, the research that they're doing. So instead of having to wait, you know, two to four weeks for a gene, um, they can use the current XP system that we have to, to build genes with, you know, within five days. And then potentially when we have, you know, the enzymatic synthesis kind of bolted on, if you will, to the front of this uh, current BioXP system, you know, potentially be able to make genes in, in two days. Mm. So that's, that's uh, I think, also, you know, really exciting um, in terms of what we want to do, where we're going as a, as a company. Mm. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I think uh, especially having ordered DNA from, various websites and then not coming for you know yeah a month yeah. or two sometimes it can be a, a bit of a pain yep yeah we hope we hope to change that it just shouldn't be you know and it, it's frustrating because you see with sequencing how far sequencing has come along you know with ngs and in 2005 and you know you can have your own sequencer in your lab you can you can do your work on your own terms you can launch you know, major experiments sequence whole genomes and you know you don't have to wait um so it should be the same way with with dna you know writing and synthetic biology it should be you know it should be exactly the the same way as that maybe you know it'll take a while to the it'll be mismatched for a while when you compare you know how quickly you can sequence to how quickly you can write but i think that gap will start to close you know over time yeah and that's it for today's episode with dr john gill i hope you enjoyed the show as always remember to share it with your friends and follow us on social media linkedin instagram twitter to stay updated with future episodes thanks for listening have a great day